the come down from Kigeti, because I'd done Kigeti quite a few times, having done the race before and doing some prep, you know, uh, the first time. And to look up and see the grandeur of Kigeti Pass and then look down and see my fucking cargo bike and realize that, like, I had done it, I had made it, I was here and I was doing it. It was so powerful. It was so powerful. And you are back from your, I don't want to call it an arduous journey, but you, (laughs) (laughs) you were, you spent the last few months in Copenhagen, right? I spent the last couple of months in Europe. Yeah. Uh, So for the last three years, I've been trying to divide my time between Mexico City, uh, Mexico and Copenhagen, Denmark with all the other different adventures in between. Oh my gosh. Super. And like, before we get into the interview, why? Because I know you're Scottish, right? Yes. It's very confusing. <laughs> but it's super interesting. It super, interesting. super interesting. Um, well, why don't, why don't you give us a quick intro? Like, we know a little bit about you. I'm a super sleuther. You might have noticed me, like, liking your Instagrams from the beginning of time. <laughs> Mel, you're not supposed <laughs> to tell people that. It's amazing when people do that. You're like, was that an accident? You know? No, no. I, 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 com- I commented on one to let you know that I was purposefully, purposefully doing, doing it. it. I'm I love a it. snoop. Um, yeah so just a little bit about like who you are where you're from and then we can dive into um your kind of your bike background and you know all of our questions and inevitably some good gossip i assume Mm. yeah i hope so yeah this is like i don't know it's i feel like this is like when i sit next to a new friend at the bar and they're like so where you're from and i'm like oh god this is actually kind of a complicated answer (laughs) and you just want a simple one you know so i'm I'm originally from scotland and me, 11 years ago is when I first moved to Vancouver, where you are, where I fell madly in love with Vancouver whoop, and Canada, whoop, whoop. Uh, being far away from home. Um, and since then, I worked as a bicycle courier, pretty much full time. And over the last 10 years, I've been a bike courier in six different countries um, wow. and then done a bunch of bike packing in between, sort of connecting the dots. And then in more recent years, I've discovered the uh, ultra distance cycling uh, events which for me is kind of like similar to what I was doing before, but somebody else organizes it and you get to meet fun friends. So I've kind of slotted (laughs) slotted Uh into it quite nicely. Mm, I had a lot of fun doing it. I love that. So you've been a bike messenger for, oh, like 11 years, I think you just said, right? Yeah, 10, 11, yeah. And how did you find the bike? Like what was that first introduction? I mean, I found a photo of you on one of the bridges in Vancouver, like smiling out over the ocean. And that was like the beginning of time on Instagram. So yeah, I'm sure there, like I'm sure there were, <laughs> I'm sure there were bikes before that, right? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very small Scottish village, so bikes were just like a go-to immediately from when you were super young, and also that association of bike is like the freedom machine because it was like now I can go right to my friend's house over there, or even go right to my friend's house in the next village over, or the one after that. So it's it's always been kind of in my life, and then when I moved to Glasgow for school. Uh, 
getting friends with people who identified as cyclists, you know, and they were like, <laughs> you better build a bike. And then because I was kind of stupid at mechanics, they convinced me to buy a, build a single speed fixed gear thing. Mm. Oh, I got God. into this. And then uh, at some point, at some point I finished school and uh, we were in the middle of economic recession and everything was a bit rubbish in the UK. So I got a visa for Canada and went there and like first week, I remember being downtown and seeing like the messengers hanging out on the street corner where they always hang out. And I was like, wow, look at these cool cyclists with the huge bags and their tiny little hats. I want to <laughs> hang out with their gang, you know? So I, I, I approached one of them being like a sort of wonderless little young man and was like, can I, is this a gang? Do you guys go on rides? And they were like, we are at work. Like, we are at work. Leave us alone, you know? And I was like, this is a job. And, <laughs> and then I found it was a job and I started working like a couple of days later. And then I did that for my whole first year in Vancouver. And it was just like being like a 23 year old from a small village in Scotland. And all of a sudden I'm just given a bit of paper and told like, go up to the 42nd floor of that enormous skyscraper with the view across the bay. And you're like, how is this my job and my life? And I'm just riding bikes for money. And I was just mega hooked. Uh, and I've always maintained like over the years that it's like, my bike is just like the instrument to do the things. If I'd found a different instrument, like, you know, if, if I was really into rollerblading and then maybe there was some rollerblading couriers <laughs> down in time, maybe that's the direction. <laughs> that so I've never necessarily been like obsessed by the machine of the bike. It's just yeah. like, oh, look what, look where it can take me. Look what I can do with it. And I'm going to go do that. You know, it's like, and it's really fun. But, but yeah, it, it, ever since then, it's just kind of been quite, organic in the way that it sort of evolves into kind of the big facet of my life you know i love that you identified with the tiny hats that they were wearing well and you have you have your own cap it's more than just a cap company but we we can get into that uh in a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, making caps so wearing questions. caps admiring <laughs> caps <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the cap you're wearing right now is actually beautiful i love the the I don't think I've seen that one. It's a no, yeah, I think it's one of the no. newer Velocio like five panel caps. It's very nice, and it mm. goes with everything. I kind of am ending up wearing it a lot just now. I I love a five panel. I actually have an, the older version of that hat. It says it says Velocio across it, and it's also in my favorite five panel for sure. Ooh, okay, well, you. you should get a fresh one. We can match. Yeah. Yes, I will. Okay, maybe maybe for Alice, um, if you're there. <laughs> I am really curious. One of the things that catches my eye about what you've done in the last more recent times is, is you're riding on a cargo bike. How long from when you started doing the courier stuff, did you change over or did you ever get anything besides a single speed or a fixed gear for doing courier life? Uh, I've had a lot of different bikes. I'm really good at breaking bikes. So I really? can come to it different. <laughs> but also like I, I would have like I cheap, that. cheap, ru cheap, cheap rubbish ones, you know? Sure. Like, yeah. I eventually broke my fixie bike. I can't remember how, but I did. And and then I graduated, graduated, if you can call this graduation, to like a 1980s Nishiki road bike. Ooh, and that's the bike that I rode across America. I rode across America on that bike for the first time. I'm I sorry, it. And I had like what? Down, down, <laughs> tube, down tube shifters. I had Amazing. no GPS. I just used a book that was called Bicycling the Pacific Coast. And wow. I read my book every day, no. and that was my map. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I've had a lot of different bikes um, over the years. And I think the other thing is when you work through winters as a career, with all the salt on the ground and the shitty weather, 
you completely destroy all the components. So yeah. there's really not much point in investing too heavily or also like, <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, fixing stuff when it's only a little bit broken. Because you're yeah. like, well, it's, it's going to get more broken. It's just going to get run into the ground anyway. There's, I don't want to throw my money at it until... That's how I live uh, my life now as an ultra cyclist who's racing. <laughs> is it broken enough? No. Is it broken enough? It still kind of works. <laughs> That's fine so, for me. Um, and then when I eventually got to Copenhagen, I moved to Copenhagen the first time like nearly seven years ago now. And uh, that's when I started on, um, I don't know, six years ago. I don't know, 2017. Yeah, God, the years just fly by. Uh, I got uh, on the cargo bike for the first time. And our, uh, the company I work for in uh, Copenhagen is like pretty much 100% cargo. Um, and we also have this very close relationship with Omnium because one of the owners of our company is also the Omnium owner. So they've always been kind of like sister companies. And now we've both taken off in, in our different successes in different directions. But you spend a lot of time on this bike. The next question is, have either of you ever ridden an Omnium cargo bike? No. No. I want to. I would love to ride a cargo bike. You said you need one. I want one. Nope. Well, I don't know. I, I'm I sorry, think I'm sorry. you said you need one. I need one. <laughs> I think you need one. I need one. Yes. Perfect. I mean, I think everybody, like, if we're thinking about the bicycle as like a means of transportation and a freedom machine, mm-hmm. like in theory, mm. everybody needs a cargo bike yeah. because mm. then you don't have to drive your car. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about the carry capacity that it unlocks. I mean, I am most curious. The bike you rode for Silk Road, and we'll get into Silk Road, but like. How do you even begin to learn to ride a cargo bike where the load is extended like so far so out crazy. in front? Oh my gosh. Oh, like that to is, me is wild. This is the beauty of like you have to try an omnium. Like, and I'm not just uh, <laughs> here as your guy just being like Mr. Omnium salesman, but it but it is true that once you've tried omnium, it's like trying is believing. Most people have this association yeah. with cargo bikes of like heavy, clunky, or like three wheels, or like you need an electric motor and also that the wheelbase is so long that it's like twitchy and it's funny. But really, really, when you, you take, go a hundred meters down the street on an Omnium and you've already got it. And it's, it's so easy to ride. And when you ride it with nothing on it, um, it just rides like a regular bike. And it, and once you get, once you're done a couple of rounds of the block, uh, it just feels like your normal bike and you get very used to it. And then like, if you incrementally add weight, it's not that big a deal. And then you really start to feel it more once it gets towards 100 kilos, like 70, 80 kilos. You start to sort of feel how you do need to be a bit more careful with your move. Wait, you're talking about movements. weight that you're putting yeah. on your bike is over 100 kilos. I'm sorry. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Because like, the standard, <laughs> user, the standard yeah. user of an Omnium is never going to put 70, 80 plus kilos on the front of it. It's just never going to happen. So if you only have 20, which is also a lot, you just don't really feel it. And it's really hmm. fun to ride people on the front of, like, oh, bike that, taxi I would life. Oh, I love that. Yes, it's I would so love that. I loved the photos and videos of you being the good Samaritan that you are at Atlas. <laughs> sorry, not at Atlas, at Silk Road. Mm-hmm. People are like, how do I get my bike bag and bike box to the bag drop? Alan's like, oh, yeah, I'll I got fucking you. help you put <laughs> it on my cargo bike. <laughs> they were also just like, I kept telling them that they just sounded like my own clients at work. They kept saying, like, are you sure, are you, sure you can manage that? Oh, it's a bit 
big. It's quite heavy, you know. And I'm like, I said I was going to do it, so just let me do my job. <laughs> um, I hope that people gave you some good tips. I mean, I'm half kidding, but also like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At least buy Alan a beer at the after party. Yeah, no, no, or a fun new there. earring. I, d- I took too long to get to the after party. I guess. <laughs> no, but uh, oh but God. no, but honestly, I think it's it's really an easy going bike to ride and if you and once you have a bit of weight on it but if you're not in a hurry you just uh, go a little slower and uh, and it's it's a breeze like my, my both of my parents have come to visit me in copenhagen before and they both just ride on the front of the omnium the whole time oh my god I love and they're that. not like thrill seekers you know that's amazing <laughs> yeah. Go mom and dad. <laughs> yeah exactly like my dad's in his like mid to late 60s and he'll still just sit on the front of my cargo bike and i'll trundle him around town Okay, so now I have a request the next time we see you, inevitably, like, I'm going for a cargo bike ride. For sure. Yeah. 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 Both of us. For on, sure. But also, like, the other thing I encourage people, and I did this at the finish line of Silk Road, is like, okay, you have a go on the cargo bike, have a have a round of the block, and now I'll sit on the front, and you can take me somewhere, because it's, <laughs> you learn pretty quick, it's fun for them, and then I don't have to do anything. So I got a few different yeah. people to ride me around town at the finish Amazing. line. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Just, it's, it's like the bus fun. to the bar. Everyone hop on. <laughs> Oh God! If it was bus to the bar, I'm the only driver. I'm not. I'm not trusting anyone on the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could have a D, a, a D, D, D. I mean, I don't know what that would be in bike terms. A D. CUI cycling under the influence. Yeah, there's a few countries with these kind of laws. Hey. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I won't get like cycling under the influence. No, we're not condoning it no. on this podcast. No, no, no. Um, we don't. My a hilarious no, tangent no. to that though is on our our first date, my fiance and i he rode to the date on a like trap but track bike effectively and we were both having such a good time we like didn't want to say goodbye so we got like way 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 too drunk (laughs) and then he he biked home after like yeah he he biked home after 10 beers on a bike with 10 beers oh my god yes jake and dang Uh, he said he almost hit a parked car. Oh, and but he made it home okay. and lived to of tell the tale. To hit as well, that's so fun. Like a parked I've, car. I've, like it's not that it I've was coming at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, they're dangerous. <laughs> so dangerous. Yes, very dangerous. The bikes with no brakes. Huh? I mean, and then you mix in the the liquid. But anyways, um, we don't need to talk about that. No CUIs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dangerous. Condoned. No CUIs. Not no. on my license. No, not on my <laughs> no, no. No. Okay. So we're talking about Silk Road and we're talking about Atlas. Obviously we're, this is an ultra cycling podcast. So I love that you're a courier, but how did you get more into bikes? Like long distance you did the, you said, did you say ride across America? Like as in from East yeah, you're just like dropping East? these like just, massive know, rides that like, you've done. Tell us more. But this is just this is an extension of sitting next to the stranger at the bar, and then they're like, mm. and then you did what? And then mm. you went where? And I'm like, I know it's a lot. It's a it's lot. lot. You need to write a <laughs> memoir. No, Honestly, my you mom need to tells start, me this all the time. Please, so yeah. just every time you're on, yeah. a, on the plane, just write a new chapter every time, and then you'll yeah, have okay, a book. shit, yeah. But I've actually. Yeah. I've actually ridden across America three times, three uh, four times, times. <laughs> four <laughs> times. Yeah, uh, because I've done. I did coast to coast from New York to Vancouver, um, and I did uh, border to border from from Vancouver to Tijuana, um, which uh, yeah, down the Pacific coast, and then I did tour divide once, and then I did like a, an across America that was like montreal to Minneapolis, uh, and then back to milwaukee and chicago so it wasn't like <laughs> the whole way across um 
but yeah, I guess like when I first, when I was living in Canada and getting all obsessed with the career life, at some point my visa ran out mm, um, and right. I couldn't extend for another year. I had to apply for the next calendar year. Um, so I just saved up a bunch of money and I was like, I'm, I had a roommate who was from Mexico and she was like, just come hang out in Mexico because your money will go far. Mm, and mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, don't, I don't have anything on the cards. Like I have no life plans. Let's ride my funny little 80s road bike there <laughs> and i got a, a trailer this was such a hilarious trailer. like my little bob trailer with all my stuff in it on my funny oh my little God. road bike with my book wait you rode a road bike with a trailer with a to mexico yeah, yeah. yeah. this Fantastic. is when they still called it bike touring you know before bike packing was all cool and a uh, thing um so it was very nerdy uh, and i love the people that i met that just had like the janky funny setups like i met a guy who had zap strapped the drying r- tray of a dish when you do your dishes and you like the rack on the bottom that catches all the <laughs> moisture. He just like zap strapped that to a normal ass rack and then put a backpack on the top and bungee corded it. And I was like, that's great. Oh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so like, however, it works. Um, and yeah, I just, I, from ever since then, I, and then I got a job as a courier in Mexico and by complete accident just me chatting with people um, who knew people and as you do i just realized that i could just keep connecting the dots like and then ultra cycling like i did a bike tour from copenhagen to the bottom of lisbon bottom of lisbon bottom of portugal and on my cargo bike because it was just like this is why i want my summer plan to be i'll take six weeks about it i'll visit loads of friends along the way in italy and germany and france and places like this um and it was actually during that time that the second edition of Silk Road was happening and Stefano was making the podcast about it. And I just stumbled across it and I was riding across the Pyrenees at the time on my cargo bike and uh, listening to all these stories of like racers riding across this like impossible mountain lines, landscape far away. I was like feeling so powerful in myself and was just like, I could totally do that. I could absolutely do that. And I should have a I goal, especially an opportunity to go somewhere super crazy. And then but immediately at the same time, it was like, and I should do it on my cargo bike because look what's possible <laughs> yes. on a cargo bike. I'm doing it. Um, so ever since the inception of ultra cycling, it's why it's been such a crazy full circle moment for me this year because it was just a, a, a dream like many years in the making because I did apply for Silk Road the first time for what was 2020, which got postponed to 2021. Um, and the whole time thinking like, yeah, I guess I'll do the cargo bike thing or something, maybe, maybe. And then I kept watching videos and re- looking at, kit lists and reading blogs and being like oh, this seems pretty hard <laughs> and, and like, maybe, maybe like first time go maybe cargo bike is like quite ambitious and maybe i'll just see how it goes on like a regular gravel bike but i still don't on like a regular ass gravel bike with like 47 millimeter tires like it was not a particularly well adapted bike for the terrain but it was just not a yeah bike. um and i think from the beginning of having a go at a race like I also like the roots are amazing. Like Nelson races are really uncomparable when it comes to how out there yeah. your routine goes. Oh, Cynthia, you, you're going. Alice is going to be your first yes. goal on a Nelson. Yes, race. Cynthia, so this is like oh, it's so good, so good. Oh. Mind is going to explode because you're like you'll mm. you'll be like riding along or hiking along, and you're like, where are we going? Where are we going? Mm. And then all of a sudden, you'll just end up in this massive landscape, and like your brain can't even compute what's happening that you are there mm. with your bicycle, and you're like what mm. like the number of times i've cried happy tears just because i'm well and also like upset and tears morocco, being like, like morocco really, so really insanely beautiful it's so mm. beautiful and i also think the other thing in nelson races is like 
shoving your bike up a horrible thing, being like, why would you bring us here? Like, why here? And then you turn a corner, you turn a corner, you go over a little lip and you're like, oh, this is why, this you know, is why. this yeah. is why. This and like why. no other reason or race or excuse would ever bring me here. And I've made like very dumb routes where you just, yeah. in, in Spanish, they call it uh, commuteando, like when you're commuting, but using commute, where commute just sends you on some impossible, uh, <laughs> nothing in the nothing. Like, you say, ah, fuiste commuteando, say commuteando. Commuteando. Like, I'm going to start saying that in my life. Terrible. <laughs> terrible marketing for commute. But hey, you're known for something over here. Um, that, but uh, yeah, like you make these routes and then you're halfway up them and you think like, oh, does this go anywhere? Like, does this actually go anywhere? Or maybe it's... It doesn't and i've done a few bike tours where on some sections like looking at the time and looking where i was and like i think i'm just going to divert because i don't think this really goes anywhere and doing a race you know that somebody's ridden it and you know that the information yeah. you have is accurate mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then you but mainly i think the other thing is just being able to meet so many other super nice people mm, I and, that. and a shared experience with otherwise strangers is is, yeah. is really really cool and it's not something that you get when you're touring you know mm. in the same way and i think that makes it special yeah the interactions in touring i mean it's the same in a race but when you're touring they're so fleeting and yeah. you're like i'm probably never gonna see you ever again mm-hmm. um or maybe, you know, you might have that chance encounter, but in a bike packing race, it's like, you know, you, we might meet outside of a shop or we might meet at a checkpoint or just like chat at registration. Then you see them again and you get that little mm. bit of follow through and actually get to like actually connect more than that, like one really deep moment. Wait, mm-hmm. so was Silk Road your first ultra? Yeah, yeah. You yes. guys are the same yes. person. We're the same. We're the same. I love it. I love that Mel and I were literally just saying we're like planning our atlas travel plans and this is the first time that mel will have traveled by herself and i'm like you're just really (laughs) doing it you're doing it big (laughs) first time you're traveling to morocco (laughs) i don't i mean and i think this is one of the reasons why i gravitated towards you over the internet alan is you at least i see this bit of myself in you as the like Mm. head first Mm. and not waiting not waiting until you know you're quote you ready. It, you know? <laughs> exactly. Because I think that like, I mean, at least not everybody is that way, but at least for me, mm. I thrive when I'm like, let's just try. Because trying mm. is like the ultimate coolest thing you could possibly do. And if you fail, you learn, which mm-hmm. is I think a success in itself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, jump like jumping ahead a little bit because like you went to Silk Road the first time with your gravel bike. And Mm -hmm. you had your heart kind of set on going with a cargo bike. You read all these things that made you kind of think, okay, maybe a cargo bike is a bit ambitious. But now you're like, you know what? I am the rock star. The bike is the (laughs) machine. Which is like, I I think. I am the rock star. Actually, I'll read the quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is the, this is, this like, this just made me well up with tears in the best way possible because when that bikepacking.com article came out about you riding Silk Road on a cargo bike. And you said, at the end of the day, your bike is a tool and you are the machine. The bike is your instrument, but you are the rock star. It's your beautiful, imperfect self that is the true definer of whether you can or can't. And I think that that is so flippin' powerful because so many people get strayed away from doing these events because they're like, I don't have the fancy machine or I don't have this experience or blah, 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 blah. But like, I think it takes a lot, a lot of determination, but also like a lot of time to cultivate that mindset. And so... Like, I'm curious how this is a really unique perspective that you have and something that I think everybody can, you know, learn from. Like, how have you developed and cultivated this mindset, especially when, like, 
we're constantly being thrown like the latest and greatest tech and like this new biz. fork that will yeah, yeah like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> how, uh-huh. how 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 have you developed this? Uh, through so many years of being an imperfect soul, you know, and then at some point realizing that it didn't bloody matter, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> like if yeah. I could compare it just in a basic terms of like mechanic stuff, like the first couple of years being a career. Fuck, Many, many of my mechanic friends are surprised when they meet me that I don't care and I don't know necessarily and I'm not <laughs> interested uh, <laughs> because they expect that you do so much cycling that you must be mm-hmm. some kind of pro in components. People ask me what crank length and these guys like, don't care. Um, but for me, it's what it is, you know, those first years being a courier, I would sit around and people would be like, oh, yeah, I've got my 175 cranks, my 2.4 inch, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. And uh, I, my cassette has like 10 years, you know, and I'd be in this panic about how like I had to try and present this version of like knowledge and interest and all of these parts of it. And then the more cycling that I did, the more I realized it didn't actually matter. Like, and of course you could be perfect to everything, but you're, like I said, like this imperfect person in this very imperfect world trying to have a, a cool experience. And if you, if the perfect everything and kit and gear is not available to me, I can't make it a barrier in participation, you know? Mm, and I think yeah. and, and I think that cycling in its core is extremely accessible. Like as a recreation, it's really available to everyone. But elite professional or whatever sport, it's all the same in that it, it strives towards this perfect, perfect thing. And that's also very much mostly not financially accessible to most people and it shouldn't deny them the experience either. Right. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of a hard line on not caring anymore uh, because I think it's important to not like, if you think about it as like the three um, bastions or, or like sort of cornerstones of ultra or like the physical, the mental and the mechanical, right? And if you've got two out of the three going really well for you, the third actually doesn't matter that much. So you've got like a really strong mindset and you have really strong legs. You can ride a piece of crap bike and you'll get to mm-hmm. the end and you'll probably mm-hmm. do pretty okay, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if you yeah. have a terrible mentality, but you're extremely fit and have an unbelievable machine, you'll also do pretty well, right? And we can all aim over time to try and get into like a great balance of the three, we're all gonna, you know, we're all gonna have our weak spot. My weak spot's mechanical, but I make up for it in a good ass mindset, and I just <laughs> choose not to really care. <laughs> you know, like I, like I think people were saying, like you know, like cargo, like Silk Road on a cargo bike couldn't be possible. And I think in some way, what I, the one thing I will, I, I was very big on being like, it's just a bike, whatever, you know. And but I think what I will give myself in the end is like maybe not anyone could do it on a cargo bike, but. The right writer yeah. with the right mindset, mm. it's not a big deal. You know, like uh, it's all about how you approach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I love that you like the three, it's like the, the triangle of things that you can have in ultra cycling. I mean, it's something, mm. there's always these memes about like in life too. It's like, you know, you can have finances and, yeah. and like, yeah, yeah. Like you're never going to have three out of three. And if you do, it's probably like a very fleeting moment in time mm-hmm. where all of the stars aligned and like, Life is perfect for this one very, very small moment. Mm. But yeah, oh, but then, I, mean, I think gossip, gossip, gossip. Like, where do you guys feel like you are on the spectrum? Oh, I love that question. Yeah. I think I, 
mindset is my number one because I'm not like physically gifted. I mean, like in terms of fitness, I absorb load really well. So like if I really want to get fit, I can get fit. But mindset, I'm just like a, you know what, if I want to do it, there is literally nothing that can stop me from doing it. Hell yeah. Uh, You're <laughs> no, I'm an I'm okay. I'm 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 an Aries, <laughs> which is also uh, yeah. yeah. Sense. <laughs> um, I'll give myself physical too because I'm not I'm not super mechanically inclined. Like if Jake, my partner, is there, he's gonna do it for me. But I can do it. But I'm gonna say my two are physical and mental for sure. Mm. Cool. Mine also you? same same like mindset. I think is my number one. I think that nothing will stop me if I want to get there unless it's like a severe, severe issue. Like a, I don't know, an excruciating pain. Like, like pooping blood in the middle of Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> yep. Or, or like <laughs> not being able to pedal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that never happens. <laughs> yeah. I can, can confirm that's not, no. not, I would, I would happen. think you to be pretty good. Uh, I feel like you're good at detail though, Cynthia. So I kind of feel like you would be quite good on the, the Mac stuff. You know, I, I, I over the years have learned it and I hate not being able to do things. That's like the most, if I can't do it and somebody else has to do it for me, I'm, it makes me very angry at myself because I'm like, I Mm. feel inadequate and I don't Mm. like that. So I, over Mm. the years have learned from different people how to like take care of things, but God, Mm -hmm. there are some things I just can't do. And it that drives yeah, me up sure. the wall. I don't know. I guess physical. dark horse. I feel like you're better than you're letting on. Dark horse I, mechanic, that's, Cynthia. Okay. That's my that's my whole. <laughs> Cynthia's <laughs> better at everything than she lets on. She's like everything. <laughs> she's always Great. like yeah, just mm-hmm. like super humble. I miss self, really. the self doubter over here always. So people don't. Uh, it's okay. You just you give you give me a call and I'll bump you right back. I up. know everyone is always oh. like. You know, I'm going into negotiations with sponsors and they're like, just call me before and I'll pump yeah. you up and we'll get you into it and <laughs> you'll come out ahead. <laughs> it's very challenging. Um, but no, I think, yeah, yeah I, my I, mindset hundred percent is number one. And then I don't know, mechanical too. I don't know. It's hard. That's a mm. hard one. That That's a hard question. Plus it depends. It, it, plus it's not a static it thing. It's totally. very much not a static yeah, thing. Yeah, it's yeah. not static. Yeah, if you had asked me that question basically before Unbound XL this year, I would have said m- m- mindset totally zero. Like there is no, mm. I don't even want to show up the start line, but I'm going to because I have to. Mm. Um, yeah. And the other two things were fine. Um, yeah, because I think like I know. could take like a couple of the races I did this year and p- plot my point on the on the spectrum in a, differently depending on the race. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depends how fit I am at the time and how much I really dig the course uh, and how nice a sh- shape my bike is in at the time, you know? Yeah. yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think all three of us share the ability to have a good mindset. But yeah. so many times I find there are so many people that have no idea so how to negative. their mindset mm. and they just let it go wherever and they have no... It's. It, I literally think it's strength. It is a... A something yeah. that you—it's a muscle. It's a muscle. It's a muscle that you have to tired. train. It totally does. Your mm. ability to push through and have a good mindset does get tired mm-hmm. and it does fatigue. But I think that's the if if anybody can just get that figured out for most mm-hmm. of their ultra racing, like mm-hmm. you're gonna succeed. Nothing will stop you. But yeah, I think also like when you when it comes to like it's it's difficult to like compare with other people as well because like for some people totally. I think complaining a lot works for them you oh, know? oh like, my god yeah, yeah. whereas I'm like get away from me like, please <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't need this bad energy too. 
Yeah. I know. I kind of feel that too. Or more like I think to myself, like, why would you think I want to hear that? Or, you know, like, yeah, if there's, yeah. The yeah. Is, I, whenever I do like longer rides and not great weather conditions with friends, we always make a rule that's like each of us gets one time, just one, one time. time. We're allowed one to time. say that one, yeah. it is cold. It is raining, you know, because it's like, mm-hmm. we yeah. all know this. There's no point mm-hmm. dwelling on it. We're just not well, going to Some people want to commiserate. You know, they want to commiserate with other people. And I think that that is where you see that. Um, And then some people can't stand when you're positive. They're like, yeah. Why are Shut you being up. so positive? You're so annoying. This is yeah. so hard. <laughs> but I tell you what, like, what often happens at work, like if I'm working at like, even just like last week in Copenhagen, working when the weather was like really pants, really terrible weather. And we all have radios and we're talking on the radio all day about I'm here, I'm going there. What about this? We're going to do this. And not one single person ever, ever mentioned that it's raining. It is never mentioned. Uh, and everyone pretty that. chirpy, pretty happy on the radio. And it's not a rule. It's just that it doesn't need to be said. About that. But there is a camaraderie just in being able to communicate about other things and knowing that they're also out in they're it They're out too. there. Yeah. And I love mm-hmm. like in a race when you roll up on someone, you haven't seen anyone all day and it's been terrible weather and you're freezing cold. And you're like, how you doing? And you're like, yeah, all right. Yeah, <laughs> not so bad. You're so, soaked to the core, and you're like, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the best part about Hellenic. Like, I know I was kind of giggling because, like, Alan, you'll understand this having lived in Vancouver. Is like it was torrential downpour for most of Hellenic Mountain Race, and mm-hmm. I was just like giggling every day, being like, hee hee, I'm from the West Coast. Like this <laughs> yeah. rain is yeah, yeah, this yeah. this is this is nice rain, and like some yes, when my muscle in my brain got tired, I was like, this is shit. But no. for the most part, I was like, it's just weather. And also, mm. we're all actively choosing to ride during the storm. It's not like the storm is out to get us. We are <laughs> all choosing that yeah. we could wait a day. <laughs> we're just going to stay in thing. it. Like, I, I'm very careful, I think, in general, when I talk about my ultra racing or whatever, and using any language of suffering, just because it's mm. like, yeah, agreed. Uh, like on, on this real point of like, suffering's not voluntary. Something is suffering is something that's inflicted upon you. And and yes. I have seen people say the things of like, it's a privilege to suffer. And I'm, I associate myself much more with that, where it's like, this is yeah. voluntary. And I'm yeah. so lucky to have the yes. wherewithal to be in a place like this, to put myself through something which, yes, is difficult, but is voluntary. And I can stop whenever I want. And, and sometimes when the people are doing their funny little complainy thing, I say that to them, like, you know, you can just stop. If you, you can stop. You can just stop. Yeah. Yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you could just stay here in this little town. There's probably a guest house if you're having that bad a time. And then it's like, no. And you're like, well, then fucking cheer up, you know? Yeah. You're, you're choosing to put yourself in these uncomfortable positions. So like, if you don't mm-hmm. want to do it, don't and do it. it stops whenever you, you want, that. you know? So mm-hmm. just exactly. that. Yeah. Which know. is a privilege for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're so tough. lucky. We're so we're lucky. very lucky. I know. Ultra racing. Uh, it's so wonderful and so fun, but then there's these like kind of deep things that are like, ah, uh, I'm in the middle of this place. Like what we were saying earlier about being in Morocco, like there's a chance that we're going to see some pretty, pretty sad yeah. and challenging um, circumstances. And yeah, yeah that, that that's not lost on me. Definitely not. And I think, and I think, yeah, there's a lot to be said about it, right? Like, cause I think you could also say that that would be the same last year to an oh, extent. Yeah, that's true. Like, of course yeah, it'd be a lot sure, more now. Sure. Um, and also with the, Kyrgyzstan and other places, you yeah. witness people who, who live very different sort of lifestyles yeah. and and um, have very different um, expectations of life, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there is a lot to be said about bringing people into a zone and making people more aware of it, and then also the exposure that it gets beyond that. And I think there is opportunity mm-hmm. for there's loads of opportunity for Alice and and, Kyr- and Kyrgyzstan for people to see it in a way they've never has before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I still think, and it is, you know, tra travel, travel in general is like an op opportunity to broaden your, your horizons and your perspectives. And it's super true that, yeah, in the weeks, even though I'd already been like the weeks after coming back from Kyrgyzstan, you're just very quiet in the mind about acknowledging yes. your privileges and, and, yeah. but also like acknowledging the potential simplicity of life, you know, mm, I know. Um, compared to yeah. the level of complication that we're all orientated towards over here. Yeah. Um, so it's very multifaceted and there, there's problematic mm -hmm. elements to it, but there's a lot to be gained and hopefully on both sides, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think there was there was a lot of chatter around Atlas going forward and folks saying, you know, is this is this the right thing to be doing? And I and I, I do I love Nelson's approach that he's really thoughtful about talking to people on the ground and exactly. that a lot of the choice was, you know, locals want the tourism. And yes, it can be a negative impact on communities when people are breezing through, they're not being thoughtful about their interactions. And so I think that like, I mean, for me, when I'm going into these races, I'm always thinking about like, how can I make sure that I'm not having a negative impact on a village that I'm passing through? How can sure. I be thoughtful in my interactions? And just like also when you're making choices, I mean, I'm thinking about this as a woman in, in Morocco, like I'm probably going to wear, I mean, I would race in a loose shirt anyways, but just thinking about like how, like you are the yeah. anomaly, you are the weird one, you are the one who is sticking out. It is mm. not them who are doing things weird because it's their culture. How can you at least respect and nod to and kind of, morph into it as you're passing through so that you're you know having as little disruption as possible or friction yeah it's yeah. tricky it's super tricky morocco is not as well nowhere is straightforward but morocco is a complicated yeah. place and i think there's lots of considerations especially for the for the non-male racers i i want to talk about gays okay a little bit but i mm. just learned i didn't know this that it is actually illegal to be gay in morocco yeah yeah, it's one of the 69 countries in the world where it's still illegal on some form. Yeah, and so have you raced Atlas once or twice? Just once. I, I rode the route in 2020 as a joyride with my friends, like two weeks after. We were like the tour, touring clowns. Um, <laughs> really lovely as a bike tour. We did it in like double the amount of time most of the racers did it, but pretty much the same route. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, I think in a lot of these kind of countries, it ends up being that there is a different rule for foreigners and uh, than there is for the locals. Um, and also like, there's a lot of sort of perverse thought of like, in a lot of these countries, there's a lot of perverse thought of like LGBT identity being like a Western thing. And it's just not a thing in their country, which is of course not true at all. Do so you have a very different experience there? And, and with my, with my cap brands, I've been making these LGBT friendly orientated cap, uh, cycling cap designs for ages for like six or seven years. And I started it mostly just from going to so many cycling events and knowing very few LGBT people at the events and thinking like, oof, be nice if we just had some fun way to connect us. So I designed this cap. And as soon as I came out with this cap immediately, not, not just the LGBT community within cycling, but the rest of cycling was really like, Oh, give us that. Yeah. We like, I think, whereas I thought there was a lot of space to go and take up or, or like space to create that needed to be created. Like, as I said before, cycling is like incredibly accessible. So we're already here. The gay people are already here. Um, so it was more just about like taking up the space that was already sitting around us and just like fucking planting the flag and being like happy about it, you know? So uh, most of the, the most, the signature cap said, just says gay's okay across the front. And as much as I have, like, used the cap, raise a lot of money to donate to different organizations that, like, make real tangible impacts on the ground for LGBT people around the world, 
um, it's also an, it's an opportunity to open like a conversation in a non-combative, positive way. It's a way of humanizing us, you know, like so much of disarming people's ignorances around LGBT people, especially just now with, um, with trans rights in sport and uh, outside of sport. A lot of it is about dehumanization versus just knowing a, a person who is nice and deserves to be allowed the freedom to exist and live their lives, you know? So it was, it's, it's an opportunity to, in a very non-confrontational way, just be human and, uh, and ready to have those interactions. So in, in Morocco and in Kyrgyzstan, I always wear my gaze okay cap. And then you've got this like message written across your forehead and I'm not coming into a space being like, hello, I'm gay. Would you want to talk about it? And uh, if you've got a problem with it, then let's have an argument. You know, I just have this nice approachable yeah. person with this very clearly displayed message across the, my, my face, you know, and I think the other nuance of it is that it's, you know, in, in our sort of like progressive, uh, quote unquote, progressive Western nations, um, we have this idea that like gay is okay is actually like a super simplistic statement. It's been okay forever. And like, what's pride for, you know, all these kind of like, whatever, it's old news. But it's a huge non-recognition of your privilege that in so many parts of the world, it's still so complicated. And the the actual real term life outcomes for LGBT people are shocking. Like it's really shocking. And especially in countries like Kyrgyzstan and especially in countries like Morocco, like if we can walk in there and then go back to our rights and, uh, and, and then the fact that they don't acknowledge the rights of others is just kind of not acknowledged for like, we were like, I never felt at any point unsafe. I was careful with the kind of things that I said, but also in Morocco had some very fascinating conversations with younger people that I decided to just let slip and say that I was gay. And you realize that they just never met a gay person. So then they have this idea of what a gay person is. And then I don't present that stereotype, especially when I'm like on the side of a mountain covered in dirt, you know, <laughs> I'm, like, no. I'm like, no, I'm like not ticking all their boxes that they've got in their head. And then you can just see the light bulbs going off in their brain, but they're like, actually, maybe they're just regular people and there's nothing different about them mm. apart from who they love, you know? Yeah. So there's really nice opportunities within. And, and that's what's been really nice about having Gays Okay as a project is it's always been a side project. I've always been so busy with other stuff and having to, and the whole, it's a one man band. Like there's nobody else doing anything. Um, it's at times it's, it's a little bit taxing with the time and resources, but the, the very real and organic ripple effect that I've seen it have out into the cycling community. It's just been so rewarding and it brings so much joy to people. And, and I feel very fortunate to play the part in that, you know, it's so wonderful. Just, Giving yeah, you guys should get caps. They're really what, nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes, we should. we should. We definitely should. We'll get them. I was actually didn't you? You just dropped another. Um, didn't you just drop another one? Because I, I know I, they come in and out of yeah. in and out of stock throughout the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Doing like, this is like our style, which is also known as me not being very organized. Um, <laughs> like it's hard if you because I've been yeah. trying to, I, for my creative juices. I want to like make a new cap every year. But it means like now after seven years, I've got like six different designs and they're really mm -hmm. nice, but minimum orders are minimum orders and getting all mm, six yes. and doing that is like, it's a bit much for me. But then it means like, you know, I'll bring back the Brooklyn cap that we made the previous year. And then people are like, but where's the queer cap? And I'm like, oh, the queer cap. That's a great one. And then I get the queer back, Kevin. And I'm like, but what about the other mm. one from 2015? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. So it's more like capsule launches is what we're going with. And I did just drop one last week of the cap that I designed this year, um, or I designed with a friend of mine, Jody Barton. Um, 
Yeah, and it's just continued to like evolve in a really nice way that means that I can keep keep it as my little side project and it's still sort of, I'm, I'm forever really proud of what it achieves. And it still says a lot about, uh, you know, it's funny on one side doing the gaze okay and then on the other side being like Alan the Cycling Man and working with different brands and, and working with different sponsors and still seeing that there's like loads of companies in the industry that, you know, even even like June comes around and there's no Pride content plan, you know, and you're like, wow. And that's like most brands, you know. So it's like there's there's forever more work to be done in terms of just like inclusion and and, and visibility, you know. Yeah. Um, so with that, like what are your goals in the long term with Gays Okay? Is it to, oh God, I, don't know. I mean, I know what you're talking about right there is but just you know, more in terms of like you as as the quote unquote athlete um mm. with a with a brand that you work with. But you know, what 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 are you thinking? Are you gonna just keep rolling along the way that it is or do you have bigger ideas? It's a good question. I feel like a lot of my life is trundling along, having ideas as I go. That sounds like Mel <laughs> um, and I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like long-term goals. Long-term goals, you know. I, yeah, with Gaze Okay, I've, got, I've always had a lot of ideas on the back burner, but I think it's maybe a bit challenging just being just me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really do. Yeah. I like working with the shops I work with, and I enjoy the, like, organic element of it. Um, and yeah, but it's been, but it's been very much with me for the last seven years and, and it's grown a lot and it's had a bunch of different, I've done a bunch of very interesting collaborations over the years and donated loads of money to great projects. And so I'm, I'm kind of happy to let, let it keep trundling along um, and see where it goes because it's, it's gone pretty good up until now. And I feel that way about the rest of my life we're just going to keep trying along see how it goes and it's been going pretty good up until now <laughs> i love that though i, I think <laughs> i mean cynthia and i have both kind of been in like that i don't want to call it a transformative state but it's kind of a transformative state of just like your life is one specific way and then you realize that it actually doesn't have to be marching along this like pre-planned track it can actually just go on all of these beautiful detours which is like basically the genesis of podcast name uh, you can you you know, you can take all these detours and they're wonderful and you can embrace them and that like, yes, they aren't without their challenges, but there's mm-hmm. not just like, and also you don't like, you don't need to know what you're going to do a year from yeah. now. No. Most people don't. <laughs> Most people don't. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's a great stage to be in and cycling and, and like different bike adventures feeds into all of it because you get to know yourself on a very core level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. I don't know that I actually saw you talk a lot about like the actual happenings of the race, uh, the Silk Road cargo mm-hmm. race. Uh, I know like obviously if people were following you, you finished, you had, I want to talk about the crash down Keggedy because you like got in a taxi and went to Bishkek, which is a whole ordeal. But mm-hmm. like, I'm curious, this is just a very gimmicky question, but like, I'm sure everybody wants to know, was it harder than you expected to do it on a cargo bike or was it about the same? Yeah, no, I think it was about as hard as I expected. Um, I don't think it was harder than I expected, you know. I think, yeah, how did my race go? It went, the, the funny thing is, and I think as a precursor, we should say memory is very flawed. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. whatever, it was fine. It was I so easy. <laughs> exactly, right? It's like, whatever I tell you now is like a few months after it happened. So, it's very easy for me to just be like, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. But, of course, it's kind of a different reflection. But, but what I will say is that it, it was about as hard as I thought. And also, the, 
I had just as much fun as I was expecting. I had loads of fun. Um, as a, like as a super basic recap, like the first few days, I went pretty hard and I did really well and I covered a lot of ground and I ate up quite a big part of the field. And I was I, at that point, you start thinking like, "Ha, huh, my big goal if I could have made it would be to beat my time on my gravel bike to show that I did it faster on a gravel bike, faster on a cargo bike than on a gravel bike." And it started to feel like that's that's totally within reach. We're going to keep with that as a soft goal. Doesn't matter if you don't make it, right? A couple of days in, like I kept timing things like not great where I was arriving places, which would be cozy to sleep at, but too early. Um, but then I'd covered good distance and I, I started to have this sort of negotiation with myself that was like, Do you know, as much as this whole kill yourself to finish in sub 10 days thing is a great project, like really, really the core project here is to get across the finish line on a cargo bike. And you're really only competing against yourself because the most important thing is that the cargo bike makes it to the end. So I started being a lot more forgiving with myself and realizing that I am going pretty fast. So I can take longer breaks because I am riding a cargo bike. And like as much as yeah. I'm willing to say that <laughs> it's fine, this is the bike I know and love. And um, it's also is tiring, just like it is for everyone. So um, I think one of my favorite moments was was coming into and I'm gonna say my checkpoints now, Mel, and I don't know if they're the same as yours, but the the Sonkol Lake for us was checkpoint two. Um, this in in the China border zone, and did the climb up into there. I was a bit groggy. I started at like three o'clock in the morning. I'm one of those people, and uh, was a bit groggy by the time I got close to where the checkpoint was. And I met two different riders that were also climbing up to there. And there was this enormous storm coming in behind us, like super ugly. It was only like four thirty, but then after we were over three thousand meters. And there was the old Soviet road to push up straight after, which is a 300 meter climb over like one kilometer. Uh, Yes. And for (laughs) folks who don't know about the old Soviet road, it also is covered in barbed wire, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just to like sidestep a little bit. There was some great points on this race for redemption for me, because there was a good like 50, 50, 60% of the course was the same as the last year I did it. And oh, were, amazing. So I was able to return to the moments where things absolutely fell apart for me and not let them fall apart, which was very nice. Mm, so that's the best. Yes. where it really, truly fell apart for me was Soviet Road and that whole day, because I got to the top of that climb and I started riding and I got an enormous um, tear in my tire from barbed wire. Mm. And, I, and it was pouring with rain and I tried to plug it and I took two plugs and then it didn't work. And then I eventually was like, fuck it, I'm putting in a tube. And then I put in a tube, but because I'd been running tubeless for like six months, I had all this shit in my tire that I didn't know about. So then the tube punctured oh, and I had oh. to do it. This is all in the rain, like covered in sealant. I, it took yeah. me like three or four hours to go like five kilometers. And oh then the whole rest of the day was just freezing fucking cold. Mm-hmm. And I just remember yeah, coming up. Like, looking, so I get to work checkpoint two, knowing that the Soviet road is next. There's a big storm coming behind us. We get hit by it. As we're going into the yurt camp, like all huddled up, freezing cold. And I said to everyone, because there was like seven different racers there. And I was like, guys. I'm going nowhere today. Like, this just stay here. Yes, it's yes, <laughs> I it's saw early. this video. Oh, so you were just like, I'm just enjoying. It was like, guys, this should stay here. Let's hang out. Like, we'll have a good night's sleep. We'll have a proper feed. And we'll tackle the, the Soviet road, not in a fucking storm at 3,000 meters. And everyone was like, yeah, that's quite a good idea. I think maybe we'll do that. <laughs> 30 minutes later, we look outside. The, the clouds have parted and it's like gorgeous sunshine. And we're like, that's so oh, funny. fuck, shit. We got to go. Now, Damn it. We got to go? No, I'd already committed. I was like, guys, I'm committed. Like, I'm going to have a good sleep, great chat, 
you know, memorable experience. Yeah. And then we're going to go be miserable up the mountain, you know. Uh, and in the uh, end, because a, lot, a bunch of people caught up from the mid-pack, that night in the year camp, there was 28 racers. Wow. <laughs> it was probably a party. It was like what a party. quite the party. Quite the party. And it's like, so from then on, I kind of had this mentality of like, I'm just going to see how things go. We've got, we were far enough ahead of the snail that we got like, we could sit somewhere for days and it would Yeah, be you could sit there for days and you'd be totally fine. So it was like, let's not be too brutal on us and just keep on rocking, you know? Um, and then the next section was fine. Uh, fine. It was fine. Uh, yeah, it was How much did you get the cargo before. bike up the Soviet road? Like, did you hike it on your back yeah. or? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like a, I'm more of a one, two push kind of hiker biker, even in the worst of circumstances. I will say if we were going to put anything on the list of like what was hard on a cargo bike. It was, it was the hiker bikes, but it was much more the sections of hiker bike that are like super bouldery. Mm. Yeah, like the Juku. Actual, up and over. Juku. And yes. Um, and Kiketi was actually just not that bad, but I think it's just because I built it up in my head so hard. And then when I got there, yeah. I was like, huh, it's not that bad. Um, the last yeah. pass, pretty bad. Uh, yeah, there was a video. What is with the cargo bike is that because of the way we built it and it being so lightweight, when it had nothing on the rack, you pull up the handlebars and the front wheel just comes straight off the ground. It's so light. It's so light. But when you have weight on the rack, because it weighs down the rack, because of the center of gravity of the bike, if you pull up the handlebars, both wheels come off the ground. Oh. Because the handlebars are essentially in the middle instead of at the front, you know? Right. So right. it just meant that, like, actually lifting the bike was a big pain in the ass. And so I was a shover. And there was only a few passes where the boulders were so rough that you couldn't do the shove shove. You had to do the lift lift. Um, and that was, that was hard. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing that was harder on a cargo bike, ugh, harder on a cargo bike, is we had a long section of very rough washboards. Oh. Um, like the, it's kind of the worst case scenario riding, guys. Like people ask me what my worst moment was of, of Silk Road. And it isn't even necessarily the crash I had. It was the washboard, the washboard. because it was like 35 degrees with a, a, a light to moderate headwind on a one to two percent uphill grade for a hundred kilometers oh my and what yeah. i don't think i want to do this race yeah <laughs> yeah washboard wash washboardistan you definitely <laughs> cynthia i thought that like washboard mountain race <laughs> yeah washboard mountain race i don't know i think that if i was gonna pick one race to do every single summer and i'm saying this having not finished silk road yet so maybe when i finish i'll I'll feel differently, but if I could pick one experience to have every year, I'd go to Silk Road every wow. year. That's Isn't it crazy that I kind of agree. Every time you finish, you're like, oh. never again. And then like a yeah. couple of days later, you're like, nah. yeah, but maybe, maybe if you went down the other valley that I haven't seen. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Nelson and I were DMing about what the route was going to be this year. And I was like, he's like, what do you want in the race? I'm like, literally anything. Cause I only saw gyp I saw gyptic pass and was perishing prior to that even happening. Yeah, um, you said something really wonderful about having a memorable experience. And I think mm. I could read the quote, but like, basically if you're not winning, you should focus on having a memorable experience. And how do you like, how do you define that? What, what is a memorable experience to you? Mm. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, for me, it's mostly about interaction with, with the nature. Um, and also about being like, I really enjoy having really loose expectations of everything and being really open to whatever is going on in front of me and around me. 
and just to keep trying to push the reset button of don't be in a terrible mood just because you're freezing cold or have sore or whatever. Um, and just being open to everything. I, 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 like I said at the beginning, I think one of my favorite things is the people that you get to meet and share the journey with and the sort of weird and hilarious because you think people were questioning my bike choices. Like I had plenty of questions for other people's bike choices as well. <laughs> but I felt like I couldn't be the person to ask that. So I'm just like, I'll just you could, you totally get my favorite thing to do is to look at the rigs of and just see mm. the choices that people have made. Like I saw some wild bag setups that I was the like, amount of stuff. How? I'm like, how did not even the amount of stuff, just like the, the gigantic top two bags. And like, mm. again, no, not saying this with judgment, mm. but more so just curiosity yeah, of like, totally. how did you come to this choice? Like, I'm, yeah. I I want to know because people are probably feeling the same way about your cargo bike. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but but I think some... the thing is, it's fascinating about the start line of these races. And I always try and reiterate this to friends who are like newbies, is that there's so much what I would call peacocking, you know, when you like spread your feathers and you're like, Woo, look at me. <laughs> oh my God. And, Look and at my like, like yes. exactly. Like, Oh yeah. I went with the, I, I went with this one and the, this thing because, or more so like they'll question you on your choices. And it's like, Oh, I see you went with the, mm, what about that? And what it is, is it's projection, right? Cause it's these, these yeah. people thinking like, I want you to tell me why I actually think my choice was better. Uh, because everyone's mm. worried about gear and kit and blah. They, but then yeah, the thing is, it's running. really important to remember is that especially on a Nelson race, the attrition rate is like 50%. So like half of the people you're chatting to with a whole bunch of big talk you're, are not gonna even going to be... finish. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> so you just got to you yeah. do you and be confident with your choices you you. and ex- execute them, you know? But remember that all this peacocking is mostly nonsense. You know, you just never know how it's going to shake out until you get out there, you know? And the best laid plans, you know, like, even the people who are high performing, like really have, get great results and are very experienced, like anything can happen out there. Well, and I think look at Sofiane crashed in the neutral, yeah, and or yeah, maybe not in the, and then he broke his phone, and then he like thankfully mm-hmm. that wasn't a huge barrier to him like finishing the race and winning. But these things, like I also had another friend who, okay, why did why was everyone crashing in the neutral? Road this year because that's not the only crash story I've heard. Of the new I will show. say that the control car was going quite fast <laughs> <laughs> because I think the well, control that's... car was keeping a pace that was closer to what the pace was at the front of the, the front of the mass, you know, and it turned yeah. to be the faster yeah. people up the front. So there was a bit of a drag going on. Whatever, that's like a simple story. But I did see Sophie yeah. straight after. I was very gutted to see him crash. Um, and in, in true, like, great ultra style, like, a few people, uh, people absolutely did stop and check that he was all right. You know, even yeah. though we're at this first start point in the race and, like, everyone's really pushing for, like, a very competitive top end of the field, people still stop and be like, you're right, you know? It's not mm-hmm. like, okay, see you later, sucker, you know? Yeah. Um, and I saw him, he passed me inevitably later that day. And, yeah, he was a bit shaken. Uh, I gave him a big hug. Because he said he needed it. Aww. And I was like, wow, look at you. Look Aww. at you, Sophiane. You little soft little mushy, wow. mushy teddy what bear. What an emotional um, man. And then like the next day, the next I time I had it. service, to be able to check the dots and see that he had just caught up all of this distance again was just like, wow, dude. I'm so proud of you for shaking that off. And I sent him a yep. WhatsApp and then never heard from him for a week because his, his phone was Because <laughs> he didn't broken. have a phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I didn't even realize. <laughs> so it was like, cool. Yeah, I just heard from him after. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm excited for mid-race hugs. Yeah, at in at in Morocco and just it's it's so special. 
It's so special. I want to. I know that it's not real life, but I want to live in the ultra bubble. That's what makes it special. Is that it's like we are not together, and then when everyone comes together, it's this like reunion of you Mm. know friends and new Mm -hmm. new experiences and new thing. I mean, it's just like Mm -hmm. it's like drinking from a fire hose. You know, when you're when you're there, and then the fire hose goes, it gets closed. You know, when you leave, but it's like the best best of everything and then it's weird when you leave because it, it is kind of sad there is like a like a post-race sadness yeah the blues is so real but i think it's, it's so, so funny real. how you'd be so like real. oh yeah oh, i did this race me and mel like you know i rode with mel the whole time and then you're like but what i mean by that is like once a day for 10 minutes we ate some bread at the side of a trail <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then off you went and i didn't see you for two more days but i saw your little dot on a screen on my phone you know but it's like you still feel like you're doing and i knew together. you were and i knew you were still going like i knew yeah, you were, yeah. like i that's the that's the best is these people that you don't even know you might not actually ever meet them but if you're looking at the tracker and you're like you see so and so like cap whatever they're just like 5k ahead of you the entire race and you never meet yeah, or like there was totally. one guy there was there was a guy who I say rode with Jake at Silk Road, but really they would like like you said, they'd meet it at a shop by, yeah. because they were around the same speed. And they I think they saw each other every day for the entire race. And so he finished a couple hours before him and I came up to him at the bar and I was like, James, thank you for keeping <laughs> Jake company and sane. I'm like, it's so great to finally meet you. I literally knew nothing about this man other than he was a fucking god on his <laughs> But I'm like hugging him and telling oh. him how happy I am. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. It's, it's lovely. It and I think lovely. it's also that funny thing if you get into the rhythm of it as well, right? Where you're just riding together for a little bit and then you feel someone start to pull away and you're just like, right, I'll see you in a bit. Or I won't, yeah. you know? yeah. You're yeah, like, you just yeah. see up the road and maybe you never see them up the road or you do. Yeah, because you never know what happens. Uh, and then this other thing is you see how much other people endure. Like, mm. wow, some of the people this year. I met a guy who broke the tiny little connector on his uh, battery for his DI system shifty thing on the bag. Oh, like the so, junction? Oh, my God. So he was stuck on single speed and he did like 150 kilometers on single speed, gets to this right. town Beethoven finds like a welding workshop finds a bit of copper wire and he gets them to weld him a new connector onto his bike oh and then off he goes and he finished in top 10 and it was like oh dude like, what? That's yeah, amazing. people like endure some serious stuff you did know? you see the lady who rode like hundreds, no and hundreds of clones <laughs> what <laughs> no saddle like and that and that, that just goes back to the like the triangle right like mm. mental physical mechanical like mechanical was going all wrong for that those people <laughs> but they were like if you want it bad enough yeah no barrier is an actual barrier it might just be like a little you know plank that you have to bunny hop across and mm. it's not actually like a massive wall or mountain that you have to climb Obstacles. when you have the right mindset Obstacles. yes yeah yeah, yeah. They do barriers in cyclocross, so you know. Ah, yeah, yeah. it's a proper. So and they just thing. Say that, you know. <laughs> bunny hop it, and then just they like, or they. Oh, I should tell you about the silly crash, though, Ham. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Please, please tell us, because I, I think you ran into Quinda, or Quinda came across. Anyways, you tell the you know, story. E- eating bread, whatever. We, uh, f- first of all, it wasn't Kigeti. Uh, I, I nailed oh. the Kigeti descent because the Kigeti descent, as you, as you will know, is like forty kilometers of downhill on very rough terrain. So it's like yeah. a proper mountain bike ride. And I, and it was the day before. And even thinking that to myself, like, wow, 
I'm so good at descending on a cargo bike. And, like, you know? and I've done, done so much by this point. But you know, like the, the way I've been telling the story to people in my everyday life is it's kind of like when you go mountain biking and you nail the whole trail like an absolute badass and then you fall off your bike in the parking lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because yep. it was like yep. a parking lot kind of a descent. It was like oh. we were coming down towards the, <laughs> the secret oasis. It was not a big deal. It was a long, sweepy sort of gravel trail or t- double track thing. And I was just, there was, there was food at the bottom of the hill and I was hungry. So I was going a bit too fast, maybe. Mm. And I just uh, yeah. hit a loose, a loose bit of gravel with the front and I couldn't, you know, like you hit little loose bits of gravel and you like correct it by shimmy your butt over and you correct it and you're fine. <laughs> and I just didn't have the space to correct it. So, and I was going pretty fast. So I went down. I was very lucky to have Quinda, like probably no more than 500 meters behind me. And yeah, it sucked. It really sucked because you're looking down at yourself and being like, oh, actually, this is kind of bad. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because it was 160 kilometers from the finish. Wow. And that last and 160K was hard. No, <laughs> no slouch because yeah. for like for folks who weren't familiar with the course at Silk Road this year, there was Kigeti Pass, which is like one of the iconic Silk Road passes and it's like landslides galore. But then mm-hmm. after Kigeti, there's the bonus climbs. And yeah. Then I forget what the name of the last pass was, but that looked pretty yeah, heinous as well and very hike-a-bikey. Beautiful is another word. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. So my story from there was that we got down, like, it's so funny as well. Like, you have your your first aid kit, right? But if you were actually messed up, first aid you kit, you like, feeling like you had antiseptic wipes and things like this. Like, yeah, my paracetamols, you know, like, there's no good. But, <laughs> so we kind of do the best job we can. I kind of patch you up a little bit. And then we get down to where the food was and um, got to this little restaurant and it was Quinn that like I'm in these scenarios like I get very caught up in my head and I was just so desperate to push through to the end I didn't want to fail so I think if I was on my own I would be really worried that I might have just tried to just push through it and then realize that that was not a good idea like when it was too late but we're we were very very fortunate is we were the we were absolutely crossing we were that was the point where you crossed the main highway which is the only oh. time in the entire race oh. that you really cross the main highway and you're only That's on an so hour lucky. and a half from Bishkek like you could go to the nearest town where they've got some random clinic or you could go in an hour and a half and go to the capital city to the best hospital in the bloody country and get like mm, real yeah. seen to and and so immediately go on the phone with Nelson and with the other organizers who were very helpful, like self-supported, self-supported. But when you get into a serious physical thing, you yes. get help, right? Help is help. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I decided because the thing is like it was 150 kilometers to go. I still had five days to complete the race. Mm. So it was like, I could actually go take two days off. I could bloody yeah. walk to the finish line. Yeah. Um, and people do that at this race, which is the crazy <laughs> thing. It's like people walk yeah, hundreds so, of yeah. kilometers. That was but- <laughs> I would have been prepared for it. But it was also just, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a very emotional 24 hours because you're really unsure yeah. about how bad it is. You've like got so much adrenaline running. You're immediately calling all of your friends and contacts at home, letting them know you're okay, but you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Getting all these messages from other racers, including like Sofiane had already finished. And we had this conversation that was like, the thing I understood most clearly was that it didn't matter that I'd just done 90% of this race course absolutely perfectly on a bloody cargo bike. If I didn't make the finish, that's the only story. There is no mm. other story. 
what yeah. happened to the cargo bike? What happened to the cargo bike? Oh, he crashed, you know, and he crashed yeah. because it's a terrible bike choice, you know, where <laughs> I just couldn't <laughs> let that define my experience. Yeah. And even up until that point, it didn't feel like a definer. Like it was just one of the many, many things that happened to you across the course of this crazy adventure. Right. Um, so I went to the hospital, he burned my bloody flesh with hydrogen peroxide or whatever to clean oh i thought you were gonna say he lit you on fire oh no he no he it was i've got so many tattoos it was absolutely one of the most painful experiences of my whole life but it was clean and the patch me up i got five stitches in my knee and he he was we had a uh interpreter who was the race medic so he really explained to him very clearly that this guy is crazy and is going to want to get back on his bike and do a crazy bike ride after this. You li- is that okay? <laughs> and he more or less said yes. And I got back in a taxi, like full disclosure, ate KFC naked in the bed of a five-star hotel. <laughs> in, in, just, just for the novelty of it in the middle of Silk Road Dead Race. Like, wow. Didn't know this was where my day was going to end, but it's not bad in the end, you know? Great. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then the next day, I got back in a taxi oh back to my God. bike. Like, I got a nice lady to, to keep my bike in the back of a restaurant. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask what you did with it. Imagine, yeah. So she was nice enough to keep it. And this is the other thing. The bike was fine, guys. This is another tip. Mm. Like, it's a testimony that we <laughs> ride a cargo bike. Using. It'll be fine yeah. if you crash. Yeah. If you crash it, only worry about yourself, you know? <laughs> but I didn't even so much as put air in the bloody tires the entire race. I just put mm. some lube on the chain and kept on trucking. Wow. Absolutely wow. fine. It's a tank. It's an absolute oh tank. So I got back wow. on the bike after getting the taxi back and it was kind of. The first time I actually made the first rotation of my knee was the first time I'd done that since, like, done a full bend. And it was a bit spicy. But the thing is about sort of that blunt trauma on your on your um, joints and things like that, it's actually, like, being stationary, it can be pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, mm-hmm. Keep, mm-hmm. you keep it in motion, keep the blood moving around. Like, I found that the first sort of 30 seconds a minute were a bit uncomfortable. But once I found my rhythm, I was very fortunate that I actually wasn't in too much discomfort. That's so lucky so it was just like all right let's just trundle on get this done get it done um and then i managed to, <laughs> managed to get it done and then but you with, did it you know you got to the finish line in, my hands covered in bandages and all of these things but oh, but i God. made it and it was in such a crazy like I, the last day was just so much crying mm. but like good crying <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. so yeah, much good, good crying emotions. like and then also even the, in the days before like it, the, the come down from Kigeti because I'd done Kigeti quite a few times but having done the race before and doing some prep you know uh, the first time and to look up and see the grandeur of Kigeti Pass and then look down and see my fucking cargo bike and mm. realize that like I had done it I had made yeah. it I was here and I was doing it, it was so powerful it was so powerful mm. and wow. yeah yeah it was amazing it was amazing you're making me cry, oh. Alan. No! It's just like, get a car. No, it's like, congratulations. Oh, you need one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So what much. an accomplishment. <laughs> Anybody finishing, but on a cargo bike, I'm impressed. It was I'm cool. very impressed. Yeah. Super. And not impressed. letting those any of those things that could, you know, be insurmountable be insurmountable. You're just like, oh, it's just another thing mm-hmm. we're dealing we're with. And then to, the to have that. Yeah. That silver lining mentality of like, oh, well, I can just have KFC in a five-star hotel in Bishkek. <laughs> just because. Make totally naked to boot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now you can do anything. Literally. Like, yeah, nothing well, is stopping you. That's probably a good mental boost for future things as well. 
Yeah. I would, I, I'm super down to do some more on the cargo bike. Um, I just think it's such a fun machine. And I think, and it, and yeah, I'm a really big believer in it just being like a really fantastic experience. And also the interactions you get with locals are really funny when you're on a bike like mm, this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it's kind of automatic that everyone's curious. And I, and I'm very quick of being like, hop on, let me take you for a spin and sit on the front and I'll take you down the street. Like I rode loads of little Kyrgyz kids around. On my oh my, bike. I love that. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Well, now that you've done this on a cargo bike, what are your other dreams? What What else are you thinking about? Yeah. What are your long-term goals? Eh? Yeah. No, I, <laughs> no, they don't have to be like long-term. <laughs> it could be like tomorrow. Just a dream. Yeah. Dreams, I've got so many dreams. There's lots of things I'd like to do next year. Hey, like the the big uh, thing for me is that I'm going to move properly move back to Europe next year. Rather than in my time division between Copenhagen and Mexico City, I want it to be much more Copenhagen next year because Europe's nice and I'm closer to my family and there's so much stuff going on. You know, which, it, this is a beautiful little corner of the world, but it's a little detached in a way. Um, so I'm going back to Copenhagen. What I would like my themes like trying to keep reframing things in ways that are interesting. What I would like my theme to be for next year is I want to do all my races in pairs. Oh, and I want to find different, interesting, fascinating, cool people to race with. Oh my God, with. that's so fun. Right? Because if you, if you can, I volunteer I mean, myself? Sure. Sure. <laughs> like, you may regret this later, Mel. <laughs> you have to ride on the front of the, e- the cargo bike, actually. It's just like it's with, you're Yo. switching. Would we count as a pair if we only no. had one bike? Mm. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I don't if know that you would does, is, If somebody does it on a tandem, that's a pair. Yes. That's yes. insane. No. Yes. Yes, it there was a pair. pair uh, the year I went to Silk Road, there was a couple, Shona and Rich from the UK, yeah. and they they had done it previously as a pair. No, no, they were they were they were honestly they were the most like they were so great. They were so positive and just. Like they were they just kind of like, they, yeah. We're- I'd never met them before, but they reached out to me on Instagram, like, welcome to the Silly Bike Club of Silk Road. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, if there's just three of us in that club, that's There's just cool. three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for me, like, have either of you, apart from, you've raced with Jake before, but have you ever raced in a pair? Never raced pairs. I, I would love to race pairs at some point. Right. I don't know what that would be. I want to race pairs, but like in a very competitive way to see if like sure. if I can do it and win the overall pair category. But I feel like before I, just think... I do something like that, I want to do uh-huh. it like more for fun. Classic Cynthia going for the win. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm too competitive. But Woo. I would I would do it in a in a scenario where it was like more fun. You know, I really love yeah. riding with other people. For me, like the opportunities I've gotten in some of the races I've done where the races are not as like strict about being around other people and they're like kind of encourage it for some of them. That to me mm-hmm. is my favorite part about ultra racing. Mm-hmm. Cause you did Grand Guanche last year, right? Would you yeah, put that yeah. in that category? Yeah. So actually yeah, Grand Guanche I rode, um, I did trans Cordilleras, which also like, ah, like Columbia. you know, if you're around people, whatever, I ended up riding with people there and also at memory bike, they were like, you know, it's a mountain bike race, basically. You can't draft anyway. So just like being around people <laughs> occasionally. Um, just yeah. like you, you learn so much. You like these moments that you have with these other people. And it, I can't imagine doing a whole race with somebody. Like it's you crazy. know somebody on a, a totally different level after you've done yeah. something like that. Have you ever done a pair race? Never. This is my thing. Oh. And I'm just, I'm a bit of a solo kind of a person in, in my writing yeah. in general. Also from being a courier, right? Because you're just by yourself on your bike all day. So it's kind of my association. So I think it's a lot to learn about myself, but also just that 
uh, some of the people I know who've raced both solo and in pairs, uh, one of them told me like that their big rule is that they never race in a pair with someone who's not raced solo. So you understand mm-hmm. how uh, you operate. I understand yeah. how mm-hmm. I operate, That's and we a figure great out how motto. it works. I like that. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a very good approach. And now, even more, so interestingly, is that I've just met so many super fascinating people who I know that I ride well with and I vibe well with. Um, and I, so there's like, but lining up calendars is hard. But, but the, yeah. I want to try and make that the big focus of my year next year, and also to try and go to places that I've never been before. Mm-hmm to try and yeah. really broaden the horizon. Like the one that I've been really eyeing is the Japan Odyssey, which is happening oh, right now. I want to do um, that. Yeah. But I want right. to do it as a pair. I should think. we go Cynthia? Like, <laughs> yes. I would you should. Do it with you guys you. should go. I want to go and like enjoy and eat all of the fun. Well, snacks. that's also sponsor. Yeah. Correct. You too. You could get a little Velocio yeah. thing going on. Mm-hmm. Activation. We call it's it. It's happening right now. <laughs> I mean, when are they? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'll pencil it in. Yeah. I think the Japan thing would be so cool. I always um, wanted to go to Japan. Um, and uh, you did? Did you do a cross Andes before? I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she won yeah. it. She set a new record. Best. Of course, oh she did. Oh my god! I have quite a few friends coming from Mexico City, and because mm-hmm. it's like next week or something, it's like in two weeks. Yeah, um, it's coming up. And I've just heard so many good things about the oh god, community so spirit. Yeah. Oh, it literally, out of all the races I've been to. It is the one that I felt the most authenticity where people are mm. there and they actually care. And like, it's cool because people return a year after year yeah. to it because it's so good. And like, there's actually mm. an after party, like people actually hang mm. out like this last two, they change it every two years. So this is a new mm-hmm. place where the, um, the route is different. It's more Southern in the more true Patagonia area. And, um, cool. I, I think that the place they're starting it from seems like what it was before, which is kind of like a, like a commune area. Not like a commune, but it's just like a hotel or like a big place where people can stay and like come together, which Super. I think like, I don't know, some ultras are missing that. I mean, I I think that's the most fun afterwards is like going together. Yeah. So yeah, do across Andes. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. It's really special. I was supposed to go this oh, year, yeah. but I'm kind of like tired of traveling and racing and i my knee's been irritating me so no no race this year for me which is such a bummer self-care cynthia self-care yeah i've been racing. yeah you gotta work on it sometime (laughs) yeah um (laughs) but you should totally go i maybe i think either i'll do japan odyssey or i'll go back to andes next year so that i can see the thing is i heard about uh across andes especially next year and, and i think this year as well is there's another race which is floating up on the horizon which is called like uh i don't know it's called like Gravel Fuego or something like this. Oh, like Gravel, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and it's around, they've kind of planned it so that feasibly people who were coming for across Andes could then ride the distance between the finish line and the start line of their race in enough time mm-hmm. to then race their race and to do both and tour in between. Because I think there's this Wait, idea. This is Gravel is, Fuego? It's like the, it's the south of Argentina, Chile. It's like in that, it's in it, Patagonia. It's, oh, it's in Patagonia. Um, so, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. So I think for me, because I think for me, and especially even coming from Mexico City, like it's cheaper to fly from the US to to Chile than it is to fly from Mexico because Latin mm-hmm. America is just like badly connected to itself. Mm. Um. So it, it means that I'm I'm definitely very excited by the idea of going for like a couple of events and spending a bit of time down mm-hmm. there. You know. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's very funny to be at a point where you're like, oh, it's only a thousand kilometers. It's only a thousand I know. I look at any of 12. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a thousand. Yeah, yeah. I look at any event less than a thousand k, and I'm like, oh, you gotta ride it? so fast, yeah. like you yeah, gotta ride so fast, and so you're kind of moving out. Cynthia's thinking about what kind of FKT she could set on that. No. <laughs> I think that thousand k is the perfect distance. If it's shorter than seven hundred and fifty, it's like why travel for something like that? It's like a one That's shot. Just, yeah. For me, I'm like tourist and the hair thing. The, the, my greatest. Um, benefit I think I have in these races is consistency and very consistent. Mm-hmm. So it, yep. it works. Consistency works better over a longer distance because mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. It does because the, the speed demons end up having little silly problems because they're going too fast and not looking after themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so for me, for, for me, like a fifteen hundred is is kind of the money the money spot. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah, Atlas will be the longest one I've done. So we'll see nice. how it goes. Nice. Oh, hot tips! Hot tips for Alice. Okay, uh, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. It's like be ready in case it's really cold. Okay. Yes. Bring every yes. cold potential item that I might need. Got it. Like pack light, but be ready. Um, last year, <laughs> pack light, but bring all but... your winter clothes possible. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did I'm? Yeah. I'm curious, Alan. What did you bring for sleep setup for Atlas? For Atlas, ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> again, like the non-perfectionist setup. Let me let me splooge. So I had. Oh god, it wasn't that great, guys. I had like a ten. <laughs> I had a ten degree sleeping bag because is that American ten degrees or nope, nah, nope. That's Celsius. <laughs> it's Celsius metric, so it's not a very good sleeping bag. I had a, a emergency blanket if it was necessary, and then I had a bivy. I really hate bivvies, but that's a separate conversation. But it was one of these ones that just the basic, basic one that's tiny and doesn't actually zip or have a pole or any of that kind of vibe. Mm, My friend also told me like, try it before you get in because it's a medium. And I was like, whatever. I like got in it and it was fine. (laughs) And then first night of Atlas Mountain Race, I like put my mat into it. I never thought about it. Like (gasps) when the mat's in there and then also when you're in a sleeping bag and I was literally like, it was like being in a sausage casing. I was about to burst out. Of it was like so <laughs> uncomfortable. So then I like it changed a bit. So my basic setup was like um, Matt just on the ground, uh, mm-hmm. on the bare mm-hmm. ass ground, and then me inside my little sausage casing, and and then the emergency blanket like draped over me, like and secured with rocks. And that, and oh. actually, it was in a, in a sort of non ideal scenario because my coldest temperature was like minus twelve. Yeah, it was God. very, very, very cold last year. It was unseasonably cold, but be ready for it to potentially be like that. My other thing is that I packed two weeks before the race because I went to Scotland to visit my family. So I didn't pack for minus 12. And then all my shit was just in a box packed away at my dad's house. And then I saw the weather predictions and was like, oh, God. So I bought a down jacket, at, at like a cheapy outdoor a decathlon. Decathlon, 40 bucks. Like, and it mm. saved my life. <laughs> also, first day, this is, well, I'm such a calamitous racer. First day, I lost one of my gloves <laughs> and was like, wow, <laughs> now you lose your hand to frostbite. Like, you die. This is what's going to happen now. You're just in the middle of the world with like one glove. And then we were in some gas station and I was like, there's no way that you guys sell gloves, right? And he was like, no, but the little man in the tiny shop over there does. And you, and you look at the tiny shop and you're like, there's just no way. But he had gardening gloves. And I was like, yeah. perfect. I mean, that's better, better than, than death, nothing. right? And yeah. I, 
literally rode the entire race with gardening gloves at like minus oh my <laughs> so i don't know that's my advice but the other thing is that the nights are very long um yeah like the sun goes down at like just before 7 p.m and it doesn't come up until 8 a.m so the night shift is a long ass shift so you have yeah. what because of the cold i think what most racers opted to do was if it had to be that you had to sleep outside because you weren't in a town of any kind um sleep as soon as the sun goes down like at seven mm. because that's the warmest mm. it's going to be all night and if it's going to be mm. freezing cold and you're not going to be able to sleep because it's too cold you may as well be on your bike um yeah yeah so huh. i would sleep from like Good 7 tip. p.m until like midnight and then mm-hmm. midnight get back on my bike and then ride that's, out a, of the good that's a really good tip yeah wait that's we a, should edit yeah. this out of the podcast so that no one else knows <laughs> <what that is. laughs> but if it's that cold everyone's gonna fall into that rhythm or you're gonna just push till you get to the town like i, yeah. I knew people that left and decided to sleep further on and they just bloody froze to death and then they had to mm. get back on their bikes because they were freezing cold they were too you know? cold. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it was pretty. Good it, was, yeah. it was pretty rough, the cold bit. Uh, Weren't the stars beautiful though? I heard. Oh yeah, I love it. Mel's like, just... but the stars were just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to really think good. of like my shiver bivy experiences have been like in the summer. Mm. Yeah, shiver bivy. I did a race in in the Rockies, just outside of Banff, and I was like, I'm gonna go fast and light, and I was like. One, made the mistake of putting my mat on the ground in the field, not in the bivy. So that was mistake number one. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just sleep in an e-bivy. I don't need, like, warm clothes. And so I did bring a a puffy suit. It was minus 5C. Oh, my God. And I'm just, like, laying in this field for my two-hour nap. But I was laying there shivering, being like, but the stars are so nice. Yeah. (laughs) Silver lining. I'm having such a nice time. (laughs) Such a nice time. I think the thing is about the cold as well for me is that you, you, your heart rate goes down, your body's trying mm-hmm. to conserve heat to keep you warm and it, and it makes me super sleepy. I was so sleepy because yeah. it was so cold, you know? Yeah. So I developed yeah. a lot of silly fun techniques to try and keep myself awake. Um, okay. Give us one of them. What are, what's one, one of, of your funny silly? Uh, my favorite one is Pringles. Pringles save your life. Um, <laughs> uh yeah look at this you guys just did the identical head cock like, uh, <laughs> like both adorable german just, shepherds how do, you know? <laughs> what? How, does, how do how do how do pringles keep you awake so like i'm unclear y- you put one in your snack pouch or like the little snack pouch in your handlebars and if you're wearing big gloves uh the focus of the mind to use the gloves to remove the top and then oh slowly God. remove just one pringle and then put oh. it on your tongue and have a slow little munchy munch. And the, the combination of the concentration of acquiring the Pringle and then the saltiness on your tongue as you do the chewy motion, mm. it, it like awakens your senses. And it's, it's about how long <laughs> can you make one pack of Pringles last? And I discovered that if I was really methodical about it, that I could make a pack of Pringles last like an hour and a half. And wow. on like a nine hour night Whoa. shift, that's like an hour and a half less than I have to worry about, you know? So mm-hmm. Pringles, that's a hot tip. <laughs> I know. I love to hear people's like how they, how they, what they do, how they keep their mind. Yeah. Say how you stay awake or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so many. Pringles. Pringles. Alan, we could, we could, t- we could talk to you forever. I swear we could come out Literally. with like a five hour, five hour episode and I'm well, like, I'm yeah. on for sure. <laughs> um, but we do have a couple fun questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're a music guy. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite type of music to listen to while you're riding? Oh, that's too hard. 
Mm. Oh. You can pick two. You can pick two. Okay. Pick two. Um, I really like happy house music, like house Mm, dance music, really dig. Um, I'm really mainly only into like powerful female vocals in Mm. any of the music. So that's like, I want that. I want to feel like a strong and powerful woman when I'm riding my bike. Mm, Um, And I also, you know, having spent a lot of time in Mexico, I really like reggaeton. And I think reggaeton is really good for mountain climbing because it's got a slower mm. cadence like mm-hmm. you can cadence match it really nicely and like nice. you know shift your weight around as you're doing your reggaeton Love vibe mm. so i think reggaeton for uphill and house music for flats and downhills hmm. I dig that's it. pretty sick i love it <laughs> well we know that you like pringles um is that your favorite <laughs> snack or what is your favorite i guess it really depends on where you are too you know obviously it, it does i I am really not like fortunately not fussy when it comes to food. Hmm. I will put, I will eat most things. I do have a very sweet tooth though. Uh, I really like here. sweets. Yeah, yeah like like gummies, I, chocolate. Yeah, yeah. And then this depends which country you're in as well. Like I kind of love America because you have like mm. the tra- like the gummies are like America. The, the choices are. Yeah. Uh, like even living in Canada, going to America, I'm um, mm, like, wait, yeah. really? I I feel like the U.S. doesn't have good. I, I think it's because the U.S. candy hell has high fructose corn syrup, like the worst kind. And when I eat it, yeah, it but makes the, my variety, upset. the variety, the yeah, variety, Cynthia. You go into a gas station; it's a cornucopia of just like, like two things aisles. I've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's how I feel in Europe or South America. <laughs> yes, it's also like yeah, okay, if okay, you get the cornucopia. gummies, like the gummies are so soft because they've got um, all these weird chemicals in them that we're not yes. allowed in our countries <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was i after i did tour divide last year i was telling people like next year's big sponsorship it's got to be haribo like this is oh. the one yes. <laughs> you know? okay even... okay what is your favorite haribo flavor ah that's also really hard i i really like the little water the peaches and the watermelon uh, mm. wedges and also the Sarahs. I'm so not fussy. Mm-hmm. I'll just have anything. Have anything? You melt? <laughs> love it. Gummy What's bears. Yours? Oh, uh, the frogs. I love the frogs. Any or any of the two tone ones, but mm. the the frogs. And did you know that the frogs are peach flavored? I didn't know that. I was like, these are so delightful. And then i <laughs> i read the I read the package, and it was like a delightful peach flavor. And I was like, oh, that's wow. why I like these so much. Mm. They're that's peach. what this is. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> when you read the flavor afterwards, and you're like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> what what's yours cynthia um I, this is going to be an un, um people are not going to be stoked on this i don't eat haribo gummies i don't like them they hurt my jaw to chew them yeah Literally. they are a bit harder um, they're a bit harder work on that. A bit sounds harder. like a you problem cynthia it is a me problem. <laughs> when i do an ultra i'm always like squeezing the bag to feel the gummies to see if they're like you know squeezy enough squishy. because for me mm. my jaw is what gets tired when i'm racing it's like <laughs> you gotta, gotta I get, get off those phone calls and <laughs> yeah no i get the, like i get the jaw pain too over and that's why i mean like yeah by the end of it i after the after a race i'm like i can't have anything that takes effort mm. to chew i need soft food i'm like a mashed yeah. potatoes mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes. Baby. <laughs> give me some squeezies <laughs> Apple yeah, that, but I think this is why I don't like like Cliff Bars and things like this. It's like oh, yeah. oh no, too much work. Never. Too much work. Yeah. I know, too much work. Sorry, Cliff. Yeah, I'm all about <laughs> yeah. real food. I mean, I think gels are and, and drink mix are really important and they have their purpose. But yeah, like regular food, yes, please. I would prefer that. You know, I've tried gels like one time in my whole life. 
They're good like, like insurance oh, policy. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they're I, not um, good, but they're just kind of a thing that I carry as like uh if I ran up. out of, you know, just to have a hit of something. Or if you couldn't oh. eat the food. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that they're really helpful when if there comes a scenario where you're like, I can't eat anything because I feel kind of sick. If you can take a gel, mm. then like y- you mm. can pretty much get your Ew, stomach hell. reset where you can then eat again. Um, yeah, right. I've, yeah, I got I've to, this year for Silk Road, um, I w- met a guy from this brand called Holy Fat and he ended up giving me a b- bunch of stuff for, uh, for Silk Road. But it's all nut butter based products yeah. and all like organic. So they have mm. gels, but they're not gels. They're kind of like extremely uh-huh. viscous peanut butter you know with amazing flavors like macadamia and cacao and Mm. and, you know like coconut and so So i was so so obsessed with those in silk road but it just felt like i was just munching on peanut butter so it didn't (laughs) it was and it didn't have like if i remember it correctly it's like doesn't have what it has is it doesn't have loads of carbs but it has loads of fat and loads of protein so yeah. that's my I'm wondering like it didn't make you sick like when I have a lot of fat when I'm racing mm-hmm. I I I my stomach is like I'm sorry what you know like I mean not I guess so for I, something for sure made me pretty sick all the time I don't know if mm-hmm. it was that or a combination it was that or something it's like, else. <laughs> it's like it's just unavoidable in Kyrgyzstan like I don't yeah, know anyone who sick. didn't have stomach problems it just happened to everyone in, in the most innocuous of circumstances I don't know if it's also like your body's in shock from what mm. you're putting it through and all the yeah well you're up pretty high you know yeah. like your your body's just kind of stretched thin on all like all fronts you know mm. mentally physically so like all the things mm-hmm. um in 90 seconds because i ah. feel like you could tell us an hour-long story <laughs> what is the what is what is the wildest thing that has happened to you during an ultra besides having kfc in a five-star hotel uh, I nearly got run off the road. Like, I'm just picking one uh, because there's yeah. too many. I nearly got run off the road in Tour Divide by some crazy, wow. extremely drunk man in the middle of nowhere oh. in the Great Basin. Oh, uh, oh he, no. Yeah, yeah. And it was really close <laughs> to the end of the Great Basin. He drove past me very, very fast. And then he came to a screeching halt, came out of his car and started pissing in the middle of the road facing me. And I was like, oh God, going towards him. Like, fuck, where is this going to go? What's going to happen? And I get what? up to him and he's like, oh what are you doing out here like really really drunk and i was like oh i'm riding my bike across america and he's like wow that's so amazing blah blah we're going to ralston we're gonna go do this and we're having a party and then he says to me like he gets back in his car but he's still kind of following me and he's like uh, what's your name and i was like oh i'm alan and he was like oh my name's alan too no way uh, do you spell it with one, do you spell it with one l or do you spell it with two and i was like i spell it with two and he literally said to me Two L's? That's how faggots spell Alan. And I was like, <gasps> yeah, oh, right. so no. I just of, I'm wearing my gaze okay hat. Like, I'm wearing my gaze okay And I just turn and look at him and I'm like, well, I guess that's just the way things are. You know, <laughs> can't really do oh. And I was like, I'm going to go now because I'm, I need water and the gas station's just down here. And he ends up speeding off away from me. He gets into the distance and I see him U-turn his car and I'm like, oh no. Oh and no. he starts driving oh, no. back towards me at full speed in the middle of the road. And I'm like, oh God. And the, everyone told me this, you're going to come to America, someone's going to shoot you, you know? And I'm like, You're the time has come. And he gets, he comes up level with me. And as he comes up to me, he is holding two packs of instant noodles out of the window. 
And he just, <laughs> he, he just hands it over to me and he's just like, I fucking love you, Alan. And then drives off in the opposite direction that he was originally driving in. <laughs> and just <laughs> leaves me in the desert by myself and was like, cool. Met a, got a new friend. Got oh my God. <laughs> that like, I thought this was going to take a very Same. dark turn when he spewed no, that no. garbage at you and turns yeah. out. <laughs> America. Wow. It's just America being America, you know? Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. That's my oh one. My I think I got 90 seconds on that. That was amazing. That was so that good. That was a good story. That was. Oh, I, I say I'm this a every full, time. I'm a full this... Rolodex, guys. Like, you just yeah. spin the Rolodex and there's a and new story. Like, I've a lot story. of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's why well, I, I can't said to Mel, to... if, if you ever wanted to do a, a separate podcast that's like crazy stories from bikepacking trips, like. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Such a good Yes. People love yes. to hear that kind of stuff. I think yeah. we should do that as I've decided. This is my sneaky way of, well, I just think that should be like our Patreon. You know, people mm-hmm. get access. Ah. It's like, yeah, it's like normal gossip friends. Our it. Patreon Ooh. is you get access to like crazy gossip stories from ultra races every month mm. or like bikepacking tours. Or whatever. You heard it here first. That's a you great heard idea. It here first. Like, like, comment, subscribe. Yes, uh, please. Leave yeah. a rating. <laughs> Leave a five star review. Give us a five star review. Bell yes, notifications. Everyone listening. Don't forget. <laughs> well, oh my gosh, Alan, we could I could literally talk to Forever. you all day. Yes. I'm like, this was the best way to start the day. The sun came up <laughs> as we were talking. It was so good. So amazing. Um, thank you so hopefully much. We'll see you in Morocco. Yeah. yeah no, thank you. thank you guys. And like huge congratulations for doing the podcast. I love listening to it and I was so excited when you asked me to come on. Oh, we appreciate it. Thank well, you. we'll share uh, a link to the Gays Okay page Shop in our in the show notes and show your Instagram. Notes. And hopefully we see you in just a few months. Oh, yeah. I'm going to cross all my fingers that we can line everything up because I would be so excited to see you both in Morocco. Would be amazing. Yeah. Or otherwise amazing. in Japan or all the other possibilities. Japan. Guys. Yeah. So many possibilities. 2024. <laughs> 2024. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right Thanks, on. everybody. Yeah. Wow.